Every decision they make can have an effect on our lives. Well, I'm not a crook. We had to push and shove our way through a cloud of several hundred Vietnamese. My fellow Americans, I've said on several occasions that I wouldn't comment about the recent congressional hearings on the Iran-Contra matter. The skies over Baghdad have been illuminated. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Immediately, there's speculation or cause for concern. This is the World Trade Center that was the center of a terrorist bombing. What difference at this point does it make? Protesters have now broken into the U.S. Capitol. This is Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network with your hosts Booker Scott and Lou Basada. Classified documents seem to be dominating the news lately. Whether it's Biden, Trump, Pence, or whoever else may have a closet full of America's secrets laying around, or in a Corvette. But other than that, it's been fairly quiet with big breaking news. And I take that as a good thing. So I thought on this program it may be a good idea to go back and shine the spotlight on recent events for some January 6th defendants. However you view the events of January 6th, 2020, you should know there have been a lot of Americans kept in prison with no bail no justice. Others have been released to home confinement. Many of these cases are finally getting to the D.C. federal courts, and one of those recently was Richard Big O. Barnett. Richard was famously photographed with his foot on Nancy Pelosi's desk on January 6th. It's become iconic. I've gotten to know Richard a little over the last couple of years, and today we're all going to get to know his attorney, Joseph McBride, from the McBride Law Firm. This hour is brought to you by 4Patriots.com. That's the number 4patriots.com. Make sure you use the promo code OUTLOUD, one word, OUTLOUD, at 4patriots.com. I'm Booker Scott, the host of Our Lives in Politics, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy life to listen to the America Out Loud Network. My co-host and producer is Lou Bazzotta. That's Bazzotta with a B, by the way. And Lou, it feels like there hasn't been a lot of breaking news lately other than the classified document stuff. And now Hunter Biden is saying his laptop from hell is actually his. So do you sense that or am I missing something? You're definitely not missing anything. Uh, Pretty much what's uh, dominating the news cycle down here in the Midwest flyover country is the Tyree Nichols, the thing going on down there in Memphis, Mm -hmm. Tennessee. And then you got the Adam Schiff and the Swalwell stuff going on, uh, being taken off committees and not being very happy about it. But that's pretty much what we're hearing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I am hearing is that the Department of Justice will hopefully – according to them, this is not my words, they're, they're going to try to arrest another thousand people for January 6th, and they've already arrested a thousand. So do we have equal justice under the law? Has the DOJ been weaponized against political opposition? Let's get into that now and welcome Joe McBride to Our Lives in Politics. Joe, welcome to the program. Uh, it's good to be here, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, we're, we're glad you made the time for us. And let's really start off, because when I think back to January 6th, 2020, and soon thereafter, it seems like most attorneys were running as fast as they could from any of those defendants. They were, I'd never seen attorneys run so fast unless they were chasing an ambulance, but they, were, they would not represent these guys. So my first question to you is, why you? What's your motivation? Well, my motivation is that I became an attorney for very personal reasons. To make a long story very short, I have two brothers. One of my brothers is adopted. He was born with uh, multiple 
uh, different types of deficiencies. He's diagnosed a paranoid schizophrenic. 2005, he was accused of a crime he did not commit, and he was forced into taking a plea to 15 years in jail outside of the presence of meaningful counsel, outside of the presence of doctors and my family, so on and so forth. Uh, I essentially became a lawyer in response to my brother's wrongful conviction in an effort to try to get him out. And then I committed my life toward defending people who have been uh, wrongfully prosecuted and or over-prosecuted by the government. So um, naturally, when January 6th came and people were running away, I ran toward the danger because, um, it, you know, it's, it's, my, it's my vocation. It's, it's my calling to step up uh, on behalf of your average citizen and to make sure that uh, somebody is, is, is meaningfully representing, representing them and meaningfully engaging them uh, with the United States government. It's always a David versus Goliath battle. But uh, God loves his Davids and God doesn't like Goliath. And, uh, you know, I humbly stand in the gap on behalf of my fellow American citizens against this gigantic Leviathan that we have in office. Uh, and, and I do my best to make sure at the end of the day that uh, the Constitution abides and, and that hopefully we can keep these people out. But right now, uh, it's not looking great, but we're going to fight and we're going to pray and we're going to maintain a positive mindset nonetheless. How many defendants for January 6th do you and your firm represent? I directly represent six who are my own. We have another about uh, six or seven clients that we're consulting on and or in the background on. Those are people who have been accused of January 6th related crimes. I have also represented uh, and continue to represent uh, multiple people who are being dragged uh, before various committees. I've, I've dealt with the January 6th committee on behalf of people uh, in government and in the private sector. And uh, we have uh, a handful of civil rights lawsuits against the, uh, the DOJ, uh, U.S. Marshals, and, and, and various prisons for the mistreatment of prisoners. So, you know, we're, we're over 20 cases, that's, that's for sure. Some of them, some of them criminal, uh, some of them are civil. Let's talk about January 6th committee for a minute and your experiences there because so many people – think that it's just one-sided. There were two Republicans on that committee. So in your opinion, when you represented your clients or uh, you went before that committee, how was your treatment? And is it fair to say that it was all just a farce? It, it was a farce in terms of their, their search for truth. What, what wasn't a farce about it is that they uh, dragged uh, American citizens through the mud because of their political affiliation they slandered them uh, in, in public, defamed them, had people debanked, canceled online, fired from their jobs. And they also created this wealth of one-sided, air quotes, evidence against people who are, uh, you know, Trump supporters, uh, right of center, uh, anybody who had the ability or, or the goal to speak out against the, the election and or the current uh, stuff that's happening with the Biden regime. Um, so... Um, that committee was uh, was an illegitimate committee. It wasn't formed uh, the right way, number one. And number two, um, it did not fulfill its mission purpose, uh, which is supposed to be the quest for truth regarding January 6th. And number three, uh, there was a bunch of information, very important and pertinent information, such as policing failures, people who were on the ground that day, that the committee suppressed in order to make sure that it did not give any life 
to the other side of, of, of the January 6th narrative. And we wonder how in the world does that happen in the United States of America? And I know you've given it thought. How, how does that happen where evidence is suppressed, uh, bank accounts are frozen before they get to a court? Why did that happen in this case? Well, this, this is something that's been happening since, uh, you know, the world changed after 9-11. After 9-11, uh, if any one of us, starting with myself, I use myself as an example. If I got on a plane uh, headed from one place to another and I seen a guy dressed in Muslim garb, I'm probably going, oh, man, is my plane going down? That, that, that guy was probably a good guy, probably prays five times a day, has children, doesn't drink, doesn't drug. He's probably a good person. But because at that point in time, I was listening to what the government was saying about these people and I was listening to what the media was saying about these people, I bought into the narrative hook, line and sinker. Now, fast forward 20 years, and the new terrorist is your white Christian Trump supporter. And uh, what they are doing, it's, it's the public-private partnership. Uh, we have Facebook, Twitter, uh, who are censoring free speech. You have uh, banks who are debanking people based on uh, social credit scores. And then you have the government itself uh, weaponizing the, the political process and the ju- judicial system to go after uh, political dissidents. What we have is the vertical integration of the public and private sector uh, to go after uh, your America first sort of person. And that is because your America first candidates, your America first Christians, your America first Jews, your America first uh, Republicans are in the way to their globalist agenda. In order for them to dispense with the freedoms of the United States, they have to get rid of these people first. And that is exactly what's going on. That is not hyperbole. That is not exaggeration. That is not conspiracy. It is playing out before our very eyes. And anybody who refuses to hear it or see it simply doesn't have eyes to see or ears to hear what is going on in the world today. Yeah, thank you for that. We recently had a program with Michael Johns, and he went through the entire World Economic Forum and the globalists, the ESG, and it's exactly what you're saying. And people need to wake up in America before it's too late and we lose our America. Let's let's get to Richard Bigo Barnett real quick. His trial recently ended in a guilty um, from a jury. Your experience through that trial with the judge and the jury and, uh, and really all of your experiences as you're representing these people, you're representing these people in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is made up of 95% Democrats, and you also have politically appointed judges. Are these defendants getting a fair shake at all? Hell no. They're not getting a fair shake. Nowhere even close to uh, a fair shake. If a fair shake is, uh, is, is the sun, uh, DC juries in the jury pool um, is Pluto. It's uh, it's just not happening. As you correctly stated, it's 95, 96% Biden voters on a good day. You combine that with uh, the fact that Joe Biden is up there calling MAGA Republicans a threat to American democracy, the January 6th findings and in, in, in all the media coverage, uh, the, that in and of itself makes uh, a fair... Uh, biased, untainted jury, an impossibility um, in Washington, D.C. These cases that have gone to jury trials, uh, they're a 100% rate is a conviction rate. Um, that is that is something that's fundamentally wrong, something's fundamentally unjust with the entire process. Uh, regarding 
Pre-trial motions in these cases are very important. This is uh, something that the public often doesn't pay much attention to, but you know, your pre-trial motions will decide a lot about how the trial is going to go. Um, we've been royally screwed universally across all of our cases in our pre-trial motion practice, and we've had to enter into uh, uh, trial not only with uh, the juries uh, against us, but with uh, you know we're being handicapped in, in many respects because of these pre-trial motion rulings. We put on a fantastic case. We really, really did well. Um, I was impressed with my team and the work we did. It was two week a trial of two weeks. And the jury uh, deliberated for less than two hours, just under two hours. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't even enough time to have their bagels and, and, and have one round of voting. They just simply looked at each other and said, this guy's guilty. Uh, they never gave him his day in court. They never assessed the evidence. We had body cam footage that we wanted the jury to look at. That was over two hours long. They didn't even look at one body cam uh, footage in, in completion. It just tells you that their minds were made up well before uh, the trial even started. He was the guy with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. They were going to get their pound of flesh. Um, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, we are happy to say that we did preserve many issues uh, uh, purposefully for appeal. So we're going to appeal this case. It isn't over. We're gonna, we, have, we have issues that are right for the Supreme Court. So we're going to appeal uh, until there's no more appeals left in us. But at the end of the day, we should have beat these felony charges. Uh, he very likely could have went down on the misdemeanor charges. But the fact that he's facing over 20 years in jail for putting his feet up on the desk, he's a nonviolent protester who trespassed. I mean, come on. It's absolutely ridiculous. And from what I understand, Richard has never even had a speeding ticket. It's not like he has been a criminal in his past. 62 years old, no criminal history of any kind. He is a model American citizen. Um, he uh, is a back to blue guy. He, uh, he documented, just Google him and you, Richard Barnett, raising money for the cops for body cams. And you'll see that, you know, he, this was a guy that uh, raised money for, for, for local police to have uh, body cams, for local firehouses to have the equipment that they needed. Uh, this is your shirt off your back, uh, all American citizen who loves God, who loves his country, and who, quite frankly, hates Joe Biden. And because he had the audacity to travel from uh, Gravit, Arkansas, to Washington, D.C., and take a walk in the people's house and take his construction boots and put them up on the desk, the D.C., uh, Ivy League uh, elitists were, were were horrified. They were they were they were horrified to the extent that this would be analogous to, you know, um, some place where uh, Jim Crow or segregation was really prevalent in the 1940s, and a black man was accused of kissing a white woman. Um, that guy would not have a snowball's chance in hell in front of a racist jury, and it is just as uh, politically charged. Uh, with hatred um, for these guys who are going in front of these, these, these juries and judges and make no mistake about it. Richard Barnett's picture is the, is the poster child for, for the January 6th uh, events of that day. And because of that, uh, you know, he unfortunately went down uh, in a ball, in a ball of fire and, and uh, it's, 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 it's not right. There's nothing right about it at all. I got a question for you, Joe. I've always wondered this. Is there anyone in Washington, D.C., besides Marjorie Taylor Greene stepping up to push back or fight for these defendants in any way or form that's really just 
making a statement at all because we don't hear anything like that. I'm in Missouri, so I'm in flyover country, but we're not hearing anything like this. And I'm just very curious, do we have any support from the GOP or anybody? So that is a great question. I have been working, uh, I have been in Congress for the past two years, uh, uh, working with people, members of Congress to, 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 to get things done. Um, I work with uh, a gentleman by the name of Alex Brusowitz as well. He's a friend and client of mine. Um, he is a uh, consultant for, for, for many people who were in Congress. Um, and uh, through Alex and through some uh, relationships that I've been able to come up with on my own, uh, we've been able to, uh, to speak to, to multiple members from the GOP. Uh, and, and there is a plan going forward. So there was, they're, they're really their ability to do anything meaningful had been handicapped due to the political composition of Congress for the past few years. But with the new uh, session in the 118th Congress that's in there now, I want you to pay attention to the um, House Oversight Committee and the, the, uh, the Judiciary Committee. And also uh, the subcommittee for the, the investigation into the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the weaponization of the Justice Department or something like that. You have good people who are on these committees. So Marjorie, one of the people, Matt Gates, another person, but pay attention to Congressman Clay Higgins. Uh, mm-hmm. This is somebody who, um, who, who loves this country very much who's been doing good work and who's going to continue to do good work. Uh, Pay attention to Corey Mills, a freshman congressman from Florida. Uh, Anna Paulina Luna, freshman congressman, a congresswoman from Florida. There's a lot of new blood um, that is in there. Uh, This new blood in conjunction with some of the veterans who have been there for a while through these committees are going to make waves. Um, I have uh, all the confidence in them. And to be honest, I had there was a lot of back and forth about uh, about Speaker McCarthy. Was he the right guy for the job? I'm one of the people who believed in him uh, early on, not because of his prior track record, but because of what I was hearing that was coming out of these meetings. Um, and he is giving all the appearances like he's going to be delivering on his promises. So you look at, you know, also you have Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar. Um, all the men, Byron Donalds, Donaldson, all those people from the Freedom Caucus. Um, and, and I think that the future is a lot more bright than it's been. And when you look at what the Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee are going to do, I know full well um, that they're going to make an impact in many things, especially looking into the FBI, the corruption at the DOJ, and getting to the truth of what happened with January 6th. That's awesome because we don't get to hear that. And I think that's very important for people to hear so that they have hope. And as always, I know Booker and I, I can speak for him that we pray for uh, Richard and all the uh, defendants and everybody, but it's very nice to know that they've got support up there, but we just don't get to hear about that support. And thank you for sharing that. Of course. See, if there's one other thing, just on that point, uh, anybody, anybody who's listening, uh, I encourage you and to tell to tell as many people as you can to find out who your congressman or congresswoman is and to if you can get 10 to 20 people from any given district to call into your congressperson's office and write emails over the course of a week um, that number it's it's about 15 once you hit that plus 15 mark uh, the, your congressperson will take notice. It's like a trigger number for them. So if you can get people to call in and say, hey, these issues are important to us. We demand answers. These are election issues and we want accountability from you. Your congressperson is going to listen. And if you do that, if people do that, it's going to make a difference. I promise you. Good deal. Let's unwrap for a minute 
the narrative. We come out of January 6, 2020, and the narrative starts in the media. As you mentioned, social media is suppressed, as, as we're finding out now through the Twitter files, in a coordination with our government and the Democrats. So this narrative is created that it's sedition and it's an insurrection. Do you feel that that information, obviously, it probably creates a bias to the jury, but is it also reaching the judges? Uh, so I have to be careful uh, about talking about the judges. I think the the, the answer is yes. Um, I think that the judges have a certain level of contempt and disgust um, uh, for January 6th related cases. I, I feel that's an objective truth that won't get me into trouble. Uh, anybody in DC is going to share that, uh, that, that predisposition. Um, now calling people insurrectionists, uh, using the term sedition. I mean, look, the sedition charges should have never, ever, ever happened. It's absolute ridiculousness. Um, and the word insurrectionist is analogous to the N word for black people. And people say, Joe, you can't say that. Well, no, I am saying that because that's exactly what it is. Now, what do I mean? Does it have a different historical context? Of course. But what was the purpose of the N-word? The purpose of the N-word was to dehumanize an entire group of people. It, It was to say that these people have something about them. There's a specific identifiable characteristic that allows us to group all these people into one uh, one class of people, and then to call them this N-word. And the N-word, what it does is it it makes them less than human. It subhumanizes them. And when you subhumanize somebody, uh, only humans are entitled to constitutional protection. So once somebody drops below the level of humanity, they now become this subconstitutional class of people. And that's what the term insurrectionist is designed to do. It's designed to say, this person is not an American citizen. They're a traitor. They're a terrorist and because of that they're not entitled to the protections of the constitution like everybody else and as soon as people buy into that whether it's whether it's passively or whether it's actively in their mind they are participating in the dehumanization and the de, uh, declassification of a constitutionally protected class of people they're dropping people down to the subhuman level subconstitutional class level and once that happens anything goes solitary confinement goes Torture goes. Long, uh, disproportionate sentences go. These people no longer are our American citizens. They're no longer our brothers and sisters in humanity. They are enemies of the state, as Joe Biden calls them. They are a subconstitutional class of people. And because of that, their votes doesn't count and the Constitution does not apply to them. That is the specific intended purpose of what they're doing. And they're doing it quite successfully. It's shocking how many people are allowing this to happen. I would like to ask you something as well, Joe, about that kind of segued into that. How I guess that's how it's possible that these defendants were left in these deplorable conditions in the D.C. jails and everything by what you just described. So if anyone says, how is this even possible in the United States of America as a U.S. citizen? I think you just defined it and explained it perfectly. I think that tells us all what we need to know, that that's how they that's how they look at these American citizens and that's how they're being treated. And I would go as far as to say my own personal humble opinion, I bet you that we have hardened criminals and we have true terrorists against this country who were treated better than these people are being treated. That's my personal opinion. It's, it's, an, it's an accurate uh, opinion. We, as a matter of fact, I had 
I filed it as an exhibit in one of my cases, uh, in Ryan Nichols' case. I filed it in his original bail motion that got denied, and then I was able to get him out a year later on the same facts, which is crazy. But uh, after I got him out, there I, I attached this 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 letter from the guys in the D.C. Gulag, and uh, they published a letter to the public saying that we would rather you send us to Guantanamo Bay uh, because we know that the people in Guantanamo Bay actually get treated better than the people do in the, in the, in the D.C. and Virginia Gulag system. And that really says a lot. And I have there are there are two people out there who, who have been in the system uh, almost the entire time. Uh, Jake Lang, who is not my client, he's represented by Stephen Metcalf. Jake Lang has been moved 12 times uh, during the time of pretrial confinement. Christopher Quaglin is my client. I represent him. He has celiac disease. They have been knowingly giving him non-celiac safe food for two years. He has had a massive amount of uh, damage to his nerves, his intestines. He's down about 60 pounds right now. And um, each time we, we say to the judge, wait, we need to get him out. Uh, they move him again. And he was just moved again last night. We don't even know where he's going. And you say to yourself, how can this happen? How can they move people around um, as if they uh, are, are, are retail goods? And you have to ask yourself, has this ever happened before? And the only time that this has ever happened in the history of our country is when slaves were treated like chattels. They just simply moved people around, threw them on a bus, threw them on a boat, threw them on a horse, whatever it was, and dragged them from one place to another to be sold. Now, we're not selling slaves here, but what we are doing, what they are doing is wrongfully moving people across state lines so as to thwart the, the, the judicial process. And by doing so, we're, they are enabling the captors to torture these people for extended periods of time in complete violation of their constitutional protections, namely due process. That is happening right now. And uh, people either just don't want to believe or they're, 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 they're turning the other cheek, not they're turning the other cheek, they're turning a blind eye People aren't involved enough. And if you're listening to this, you got to get involved. You got to call your congressman. You got to get online. You got to tweet about this. You got to talk about this. You got to raise hell about this because um, these are American citizens with no criminal records that this stuff is happening to. And they're being targeted because of their political beliefs. It could be your father, your mother, your sister, your grandfather, your boyfriend, your cousin, your partner next. And you don't want it to have to get to that level in order for you to get involved. So people, please pray and please get involved before it's too late. Absolutely. We're going to take a break here for just a minute. And on the other side of it, we're going to get into unequal justice under the law. Uh, some Biden appointees. We have an interesting uh, clip from Senator John Kennedy. We want to play and get Joe's uh, take on that. And, you know, the, there's a winter storm happening and lights are going out all over the place. And Lou, I know you just had one recently. January marked the third time a power station in North Carolina was damaged by gunfire. And authorities are saying the attack raises a new level of threat. And these same authorities are now checking our grid for vulnerabilities. They've identified nine key substations. If these substations are attacked, power could be knocked out from coast to coast for up to 18 months. A blackout lasting not days, but weeks or months. Your life would be frozen in time right at that moment. Lights all over the country would go out, throwing people into total darkness. That's why having your own portable solar power right now 
is more important than ever before. With the Patriot Power Sidekick from 4Patriots, you get a solar generator that doesn't install into your house. It's quick, easy, portable. It's on the go or even inside your house. It's small. It's about the size of a lunchbox, but it packs a lot of power. Powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, and even a mini fridge. It comes with a free solar panel and, right now, free shipping. Most important, it comes with an unheard of 365-day satisfaction guarantee. Not only that, but right now, 10% off can be yours on your first purchase by typing the code OUTLOUD at checkout. Just go to 4Patriots.com. Use code OUTLOUD to get 10% off your first purchase of the Patriot Power Sidekick or, for that matter, anything that's available in the store. That's 4Patriots.com. Use the code OUTLOUD. We'll be back with more of Our Lives in Politics in just a minute on the America Out Loud Network. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud radio network. I'm your host, Booker Scott, alongside Lou Pizzotta. And our special guest is January 6th attorney. Not just January 6th. I shouldn't pigeonhole him that way. But Joseph McBride is a great American patriot that has taken on that task. And we welcome him back now to Our Lives in Politics. Through your experiences now, Joe, 
over the last two years, is it fair to say that we don't have equal justice under the law? Oh, it is. It is completely fair to say the the United States government has a long and storied history of targeting a specific group of people for the acquisition of power. Um, I mean, you know, there's always a scapegoat. We've seen it with Japanese Americans in internment camps and, uh, and during World War II. We've, we've seen it with uh, African Americans uh, over the course of our, of, our, of our nation's history. It's a very unfortunate experience. And now uh, the new group of people who are being targeted are, you know, white, uh, largely Christian uh, Republicans. Uh, and uh, the government needs a scapegoat. And right now, when you are right now and in any other time, when you are the targeted audience by the government, you're not going to get uh, a fair shake. There is no equal treatment under the law for you. Earlier, you mentioned the word insurrectionists and insurrection. When I look back and think back to January 6, 2020, Insurrection became a word that the Democrats threw around within hours of that day happening, almost in a coordinated effort. In your opinion, was there a coordinated effort between Democrats and the federal government on January 6, 2020? Unequivocally, 100% yes. There's no question in my mind about it. Uh, and that is based on gut instinct and intuition going into this and then re reviewing uh, documents and video footage. Um, I, I, have, I have behind the scenes access because I'm an attorney and uh, I get to see what the uh, American public um, has not seen in terms of video footage. Uh, the policing, the policing failures uh, are too coordinated. They're too, uh, you look, the Democrats are not going to come straight at you. Uh, the way that these people work, it's passive aggressive, right? And they simply set up the perfect conditions for the uh, uh, peaceful protest to to turn into something else that it wasn't. There was there was a one hundred percent coordination, but there was also intentional policing failures. They fed the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Department um, to the crowd, uh, and the peaceful crowd was uh, transitioned from peaceful. Uh, to being uh, violent at times because there were agitators um, that were hired and sent there to stir up the pot between, uh, you know, uh, con to stir conflict between the, the peaceful protesters and the police there that day. There is no question about it. And if you want to look at some of the actual policing recklessness and negligence that resulted in, for instance, let's say the Western terrorist police line collapsing due to police negligence. Uh, look at some of the um, video exhibits that I entered in, in Richard Barnett's case. They're now public information. Uh, Joe Hanneman from the, from the Epoch Times has covered it as, in, at length. Julie Kelly uh, from American Greatness has covered it at length. And those videos are available on, on Rumble now as well. And you'll see in particular with regard to Daniel Tao, his body cam footage shows him at about 2.25 p.m. He is talking to uh, a Metropolitan Police officer. And he this is one of many times, but in, in particular this time, he tells this guy, put it up in the effing scaffolding. And what he's telling him to do is to take a 40 millimeter gas canister and to shoot it up into the scaffolding where people are peacefully protesting the, the officer tries to shoot it up there but it doesn't work it, it falls down this is complete recklessness it falls down right in front of them and he gasses everybody around him so you see all of these police officers choking and running and they start to throw up and they and they just run up the stairs 
And so what happens as a result? The perfect police line that was protecting the Western Terrace collapses. The whole thing collapse, collapses because all the, the police officers abandon it and all the protesters begin to move toward the Capitol. That is due to police negligence, recklessness on behalf of the Metropolitan Police Department. Yet January 6th defendants are being prosecuted for that exact crime. A big to-do has been made about Officer Brian Sicknick, who passed away, unfortunately, at January 6th because of arguably, arguably because of injuries that he may have sustained at the Western Terrace. Sicknick is widely considered to have been gassed by protesters and then gotten sick and possibly stroked out. We know, number one, he wasn't given the adequate medical attention from his fellow police officers. We know, number two, we think that's because he was a, he was an avid Trump supporter. Be that as it may, the blame for that gassing was been put on, on specific defendants when, in fact, it was the Metropolitan Police Department themselves who we have on video now and released to the public who gassed that entire side. And they didn't do it once. They didn't do it twice. They did it like 10 times that day. They should have never been using gas. You see on multiple occasions, they shoot gas and then they go win, 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 win. And the gas and, and the wind blows back in their face and it winds up gassing everybody behind them. Like if the wind is blowing, you don't mm -hmm. use gas. And it was just absolute out and out recklessness on behalf of the Metropolitan Police Department, which resulted in the collapse of the Western Terrace, which turned into a pitched battle because people were mad that they were being gassed for simply reciting the Pledge of Allegiance or singing God Bless America. A gentleman by the name of Ray Epps from Arizona was there on January 6th. He was actually there January 5th as well. He was telling everybody to go to the Capitol tomorrow on January 5th. And then he shows up on the Capitol grounds January 6th. And there is video of him removing bicycle racks so that people could go to the Capitol. This man has never been prosecuted. What is your feeling on Ray Apps? So many people believe that he is obviously paid by the federal government. He was not really questioned by the FBI, but he was brought in to the January 6th committee. Look, Ray Epps is the poster child for, and there are like, there are about 50 other people, maybe a hundred other people who, who, who have done, who did Ray Epps type things who have not been persecuted or prosecuted by the government. Ray Epps is on camera the day before planning. This is pre-planning. This is conspiracy 101. Go into the Capitol tomorrow. Go into the building Oh, well, no, you're a Fed. You're a Fed. We're just here to protest. No, we got to go into the building. And then on January 6th, he's seen marching down. He's gathering people from the ellipse. He's streamlining lining them down to the Capitol. And then when he's at the Capitol, he's participating and calling the shots at multiple breach locations. Any one of my clients, were, were they to have done something this sophisticated, something this well thought out, something this coordinated, they would have gone down on seditious conspiracy. There is no question about it. The fact that this guy has not even been indicted tells you all that you need to know. I mean, this is the equivalence of Lee Harvey Oswald being on camera uh, for what he did at the Kennedy assassination and then still walking around in the public. We know that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't work by himself. CIA and other people were, were involved in that day. CIA and other people were involved on January 6th as well. It may not, the truth may not come out this year. It may not come out next year, but at some point the truth was going to come out. People could not believe even up until a few months ago that the CIA would participate in the assassination of the sitting president. 
We know that unequivocally now. They did that. They participated in that egregious act. Do you think that they have gotten any better since 1963? I don't think so. So um, the truth will eventually come out. The truth will have its day. It's just a matter of what level of suffering the American public is going to have to endure and how much more hypocrisy are we going to have to endure until the truth has its, you know, until, until the truth comes to light. So let's, let's talk about federal judges for a moment. There's a lot being said about federal judges. And it recently, Senator John Kennedy he was at a hearing questioning five different appointees that are going through the confirmation process right now that Joe Biden has nominated. And we're going to play this right now. I don't know if you've heard it. This was at the, the last week of January when this hearing took place. I know you're a busy guy, so you may or may not have heard this, but I want to play it for our listeners right now and for you and get your thoughts on this because to me, this is very scary. Here's Senator John Kennedy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and congratulations uh, to all of you. Um, judge on the far end, uh, tell, tell me what Article 5 of the Constitution does. Article 5 is not coming to mind at the moment. Okay. How about Article 2? Neither is Article 2. Okay. Do you know what purposivism is? Um, in my 12 years as an assistant attorney general huh? and my nine years serving as a judge, I was not faced with that precise question. Um, we are the highest trial court in Washington state, so I'm frequently faced with um, issues that I'm not familiar with, and I thoroughly review the law, our research, and apply the law to the facts presented to me. Well, you're going to be faced with it as a, if you're confirmed. I can assure you of that. So, Joe, there you have an answer from someone that is trying to become a federal judge. Is that acceptable? No, it's not acceptable. I mean, look, these people are being put in there for because of their politics, because of their political biases. They're being put in there for what I call or for religious purposes. And, and what I mean by that is their anti-Christic secularism, um, uh, their atheism, has their, their secular humanism has become uh, this cult. And if you are a, uh, a member of the cult, uh, of secular humanist, whatever you want to call it, um, they want to put you in these positions of power so you can indoctrinate and enforce doctrine going forward. It's not about their skill set. The idea that somebody doesn't, you know, is, is, is looking at being confirmed as, as, as a federal judge and can't answer a question about basic statutory interpretation, the interpretation of law and statutes, that somebody doesn't know that Article 2 is, is related uh, to, to uh, the, the presidency. Uh, it can be used to impeach. Um, uh, that Article Five, that you know, it has to do with amendments and other things like that. Um, these are these. Look, we're talking about the Constitution, and if you are a federal judge, you need to know the Constitution front and back, up and down, left and right. And uh, what happened here was a great 
and wonderful example by Senator Kennedy to show the American public that these judges don't care about the Constitution and they don't know the Constitution. The doctrine and, and, and the things that are important to them has to do with being woke, has to do with social credit scores, and has to do with uh, making sure that uh, they have the right pronouns and that, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, your, your, your gender, your identity, um, and, and everything else like that is more important than the principles that are enshrined in, in our articles, the principles that are enshrined in our amendments, uh, the principles that are enshrined in particular in our Bill of Rights. The, the, the idea that a sitting uh, judge who's potentially going to be confirmed, um, you know, treats this like it's some kind of gotcha question, um, when it when 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 it when it's really not is is absolutely preposterous, but it's a wonderful uh, indictment of the level of ignorance that is prevalent in the judiciary today. If you go through law school, aren't you taught the Constitution? And if she is a U.S. attorney, wouldn't she have an idea of both of those articles? And real quick, just for people listening that may not know. I'm not an attorney. I don't know. So I look it up. Article five is how to amend the constitution. We've only had 27 amendments in 250 years. So it's not an easy process. Article two establishes the executive branch. It gives the power to enforce federal laws, which is exactly what she's going to be doing. And she doesn't know what article two is. Yeah. She, look, this is, this is, this is the basics and it would be like, you know, somebody getting up there and saying, hey, I'm going to uh, deliver a sermon today, uh, you know, connecting the book of Exodus to the book of Revelation. And you're going, OK, but just I just want to make sure that you have the qualifications. So, you know, tell me what you know about the Ten Commandments. And, they, you know, they, in your opinion, has Jesus risen from the dead? And if you can't give the answers to these questions, you got no right in hell to be given a, a speech in my church. Right. Or a sermon. And, and that is exactly right. what she's doing here. Like she just she's just not qualified, but they're going to put her through anyway because they don't care about qualifications. They care about what pronoun she uses. Yeah, this administration, there's many examples of this going on. Yes. And in the justice system as well. So I agree. When you look at the World Economic Forum, you look at Marxism, and it's something that we've kind of talked about here in this hour, you know, insurrectionists. Those words, um, racism, all of those things are used to divide us as people instead of unite us. And it's very important for the World Economic Forum and the globalists to have that happen, isn't it, Joe? Of course. They Look, a house divided um, cannot stand. There is a globalist uh, agenda that uh, has uh, absolute hatred and contempt for all things uh, American, all things that are true blue American, freedom, individualism, capitalism, the right to wor freely worship, the right to freely assemble, the right to criticize government, the right to say, hey, you have this view in the world, and I disagree. I actually, I think that your view sucks and that you're a madman, but I'm going to respect you nonetheless. So just give me the reciprocal respect. They, they hate that. Uh, they want to take that from us in order to uh, indoctrinate us in, into this one world way of thinking. But um, America um, is never going to never going to allow that to happen so long as we continue to abide by our by our Constitution and by our founding principles. What they are doing is they're is they're trying to 
discredit uh, the Constitution in the same way that an atheist will discredit the Bible. You know, oh, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, so it really has no meaning. And then you go, well, you know, the Bible is alive and well, and it has all the meaning in the world. It really it depends on how you look at it. Um, so if that's the way that you feel, then fine, but you're not going to force me into your system of belief and make me give up my God because you think that the Bible is, is something other than I believe it to be. And they want the, they want us to do the same thing with the Constitution. Oh, it was written by a bunch of white men who owned slaves, and because of that, you know, it's not relevant. Let's get rid of that and come up with this, you know, Chinese Marxist way of thinking based on a social credit score because really that's what's best for us. I mean, get the heck out of here. So um, people got to wake up. Isn't it amazing, Joe, that I, I consider the Bible, of course, uh, first and foremost, but also like the Constitution. I, I look at them both as living documents. They still apply today and they always will. And that's what most people don't realize. They think, like you just stated, that it happened so many hundreds of years ago or even the Bible thousands of years ago, whatever it is, and they say, well, it doesn't apply today. We must make change. Just like these people over in Davos. What, nobody elected these people. I don't want any of these people telling me what to do. I never elected them. I don't like them and I don't support them. But yet they want to tell us what to do and they want to rule us. And I'm totally against that. But again, I think everything is a, both of these documents, the Constitution and, and the Bible, the book itself, these are living things that still apply to us today and they work period. I agree with you 100%. Uh, the const both the Constitution and uh, in the Word of God are both inspired documents, inspired uh, words for sure. Look, God uh, knows what he's doing. He's got away with numbers, right? He you, often uses the number three, he often uses the number seven, and he often uses the number uh, 40. But when it comes to the law, he likes the number 10. I give you the 10 commandments Get your act together, Israel, so I can bless you and you can go out there and you can be uh, who I have appointed you to be. And what did God give the United States? He gave us the Bill of Rights, 10 commandments for our Constitution as well, because he's behind it and he knows what he's doing. And for us to forsake that is to forsake God himself. And I'm just like you, never going to participate in that ignorance. No way, no how. Well said. One thing I try to point out all the time when I'm given the opportunity is that the Constitution was written from oppression. You know, the, the, the men that wrote it, regardless of their race, regardless of their age, it was written because a tyrannical government was controlling them. So it was written from oppression. And because of that, it can apply to anyone that is being oppressed. And the amendments have been made uh, through the years to make corrections to that. And it continues to be amended when needed. Joe, we started this by asking you about your motivation. And you mentioned your brother being incarcerated for 15 years for a crime that he didn't commit. Let me ask you, did he have to spend the entire 15 years or were you ever able to become a lawyer and help him before that happened? He spent uh, almost 11 years in um, by the time I had graduated. I had to go to college, right? I hadn't even gone to college. I had to go to college and did law school, take the bar exam. That took me about 10 years. So by the time, uh, you know, uh, that process was over, my brother was like getting out like the same week. So I was never, I was never okay. able to help him, um, in, in any meaningful way. Um, only, you know, I was there as, as, his, as part of his support system, but I was never able to help him because the clock had ran out on his case. But, 
you know, I think I feel in my heart that that sort of sense of missed opportunity or unfinished business, God has given me a fire uh, in my heart to help uh, other people and to, and to do so with a little bit of a, of, a, of a pep in my step, knowing that time is of the F essence, that things need to get done the right way the first time around, uh, so on and so forth. So unfortunately, you know, my family had to go through the whole experience. It, it was it was unpleasant. Um, but, um, you know, we are stronger uh, because of it. And uh, look, if, if my brother never gets locked up, I'm never speaking to you today. I'm, I'm probably going to be still doing teaching jujitsu in some mixed martial arts school somewhere and, and, and doing that. But, uh, you know, I stand before you now because um, like the cross, the cross is a mystery, right? The cross, we look at it and it's objectively the most horrible thing that we could ever think of. It's the, the, the all perfect creator of the universe, sinless, beautiful, spotless lamb being crucified and tortured by his own children. Um, but out of that horrific situation, uh, the greatest good that humanity has ever known took place. And, you know, it, this is a lesser cross, but it was a cross to my family. And out of that uh, horrible set of circumstances, uh, something noble and something great was able, was able to happen. And, uh, and that's, how, uh, that's how I arrived uh, here today. Amen. It's amazing how God uses people for certain things. And when doors open, other doors, or when doors close, other doors open. And obviously, you've opened that door. Let me ask you, what do you hope for this nation and this country? Understanding where we are at this very moment, what are your hopes? My hope is that um, God will forgive us. My hope is that enough people will repent and say, hey, listen, God, we, we, we're sorry. Um, we, we, we got it wrong. We're always going to get it wrong. We need your help. Um, uh, can, you please, uh, can you please help us? The, the contrition doesn't have to be perfect. We just need to say as, as, as a people, and as a nation, we, we, we need your intercession. We need your help. We cannot do it right without you. Left to our own devices, it's going to be genocide. It's going to be murder. It's going to be war because we're messed up. And I hope that that God will have mercy on us. God, you know, when I, I, I look at the, the rise and fall of, of, of Israel and the separation of the, the two kingdoms, and, you know, I see the parallels between uh, Israel and, and the United States of America. And, uh, you know, um, there are times where Israel was sent off into captivity, and there was times where your God turned around and said, you know what, I'm going to give you another shot, and the punishment won't be this severe. When I think about uh, Abraham, Lot going to Sodom and Gomorrah, trying to find 10 good men. They weren't able to do it, and God nuked the place, right? There's a lot more than 10 good men and women here in the United States of America. There are millions of us who love God. There are millions of us who are making amends for our sins and for the sins of our nation, and we're saying, hey, have mercy on us. And I hope that um, God will have mercy on us. I hope that there will be a return to our constitutional principles, a return to the nuclear family, a return to the appreciation of life uh, from conception until the very last day, um, and uh, that we will put away this culture of death. Uh, because if we don't, it's going to consume us. So my hope is that uh, America finds its way and that, that God gives us the assist that we very much need in this hour. That's awesome. And I know we, we really, uh, we pray for you. And I want to, before we run out of time today, I want to personally thank you for everything that you're doing for these people, these defendants. And I just think it's amazing that someone like you can 
talk the way you are because we don't get to hear that very much, especially from lawyers. And it sounds horrible to say, but listening to the way you just described all of that, that is very refreshing. And I can tell you that I support you. And again, please make sure that we uh, that you tell us how we can help support these defendants uh, through their J6 situation uh, any way that we can. Please let us know about that. But I know I can speak for Booker and myself again. We will definitely pray for you, for them. And again, thank you so much for everything you've done. It's amazing. And I, I, I bless you and I hope God blesses you many, many, many more times over. Uh, I, I, I received the blessing and, and uh, I thank you for it. And I ask God to return it to you a hundredfold to, to you and to those whom you love. And regarding anybody who has it in their, uh, their heart to pray for us, please, please pray for us. And if you're able to give my social media, I, I am McBride Law NYC across all social media platforms. And my website is McBrideLawNYC.com. There's a January 6th tab there. Some of the clients who I represent are listed. Others that we keep kind of private um, are, are not. And so um, if you're inclined to give to one of the particular gifts and go funds that are there, please go ahead. There's otherwise a global gifts and go fund that I have there. Um, that goes toward my January 6th related work, and we always apply it where it's needed most. We struggled in Richard Barnett's case in terms of raising money. Um, so uh, all the money that went into that global fund went into Richard's case, and we were able to uh, provide Richard with meaningful representation uh, and, and take care of everything that needed taken care of. The clients who I represent that are connected to January 6th, are uh, you know uh, lower income middle America people with no real savings or little savings at all? There's no way that they would able to to afford the type of representation that we have been bringing me and my team, my team and I, and our partners without your help. So uh, thank you in advance. Uh, God bless you, and God may God bless and, and save the United States of America. We need it now more than ever. You've been listening to Joe McBride of the McBride Law Firm in New York City. Joe, thank you so much for coming and taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it, and I know our listeners do as well. You know, salt without flavor is useless. It's thrown on the street to be stepped on, and you are the salt of the earth, so be salty. You've been listening to Our Lives in Politics with your host, Booker Scott and Lou Basada. 